are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw. Our destination today isn't all that exotic, Michelle, just a few hours away from our home base here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. But it's good to have you back again. Have you ever been to Bridgeport, Connecticut? I've never been there to visit for any length of time, but I have driven through there on adventures back and forth to Maryland when my son was in college. There's quite a bit of traffic in that area um, to coming to and from there, but that area is definitely on my list to get down and see some of the lighthouses that Connecticut has to offer. Yeah, there are some neat lighthouses in Connecticut. There's also a lot of traffic on Route 95 uh, along uh, near the coastline in Connecticut there. Our main topic today is a lighthouse in Bridgeport, Black Rock Harbor Lighthouse, also known as Fairweather Island Lighthouse. It's not really that widely known, but it has some fascinating history, and there are some people who are very devoted to its preservation. I think that's true of a lot of lighthouses. They may not all be big tourist attractions, but they're loved by their communities, and they're all worth preserving. Later, we're going to play an interview with Phil Blodges of the Black Rock Community Council, about the preservation of the lighthouse, but we're going to start with some background in the maritime history of Bridgeport and an interview with someone who knows a lot about that subject. Michelle, uh, please help me tell our listeners about Bridgeport. Sure, Jeremy. Bridgeport, Connecticut is located where the Pequannock River empties into Long Island Sound, about 60 miles northeast of Manhattan. Its population of about 146,000 makes it the largest city in Connecticut and the fifth largest in New England. Here are a few interesting facts about Bridgeport. The showman P.T. Barnum, a Connecticut native, served as mayor of Bridgeport in 1875 and 1876. Today, the Barnum Museum in Bridgeport houses many of Barnum's oddities and curiosities. In 1965, Fred DeLuca borrowed $1,000 from his friend Peter Buck to start Peter's Super Submarines restaurant in Bridgeport. In 1968, the sandwich shop was renamed Subway. By 2017, the Subway chain had more than 42,000 locations worldwide. The Frisbee Pie Company was founded in Bridgeport in 1871, and nearby schoolchildren tossed the plates around and yelled, Frisbee! to alert others to avoid the spinning tins. The game the children played made its way to nearby college campuses. The name Frisbee was picked up by Whammo, and Bridgeport is credited as the birthplace of the Frisbee flying disc. But mostly today we want to concentrate on the maritime history and the lighthouses of the Bridgeport area. With its harbor at the mouth of the Pequannock River, Bridgeport became a center of trade, shipbuilding, and whaling. Rail connections to the New York, and New Haven Railroad led to the development of major manufacturing industries in Bridgeport. Captain's Cove Seaport is a major attraction in Bridgeport. It was started by former commercial lobsterman and fisherman Kay Williams. In 1982, Kay, his wife Vivian, and other family members and friends began the transformation of a vacant lot into a marina complex. It remains a family-owned business that includes a marina, restaurant, bar, fishing charters, and more. Bruce Williams, who is the son of Kay Williams, is vice president of Captain's Cove Seaport. Bruce is also a historian of the local area and the co-author of the book Bridgeport on the Sound, published in 2001 by Arcadia Publishing. I recently had a chance to talk on the phone with Bruce Williams. Let's listen to that conversation now. 
I am on the phone with Bruce Williams. Uh, thanks so much for spending some time with me today, Bruce. Uh, it was great meeting you in September when I was in the area, in the Bridgeport area, to speak at the Fairfield Museum. And uh, it was great having the chance to visit you at Captain's Cove. And again, I, I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. Bruce, if we could start by talking about the uh, early maritime history of the Bridgeport area. Of course, Black Rock developed as an important harbor in the 1700s, but as time went on, Bridgeport Harbor became more of a center of activity. Could you talk a little bit about why the that kind of shift happened? Why did things shift from uh, Black Rock Harbor to Bridgeport Harbor as a center of activity? Yes, Jeremy. Well, in the, um, in the 18th century, when uh, harbors began to be developed along the Long Island Sound coastline, the settlers would... Um, obviously try to, you know, find the harbors that were uh, most conducive to getting big ships in and out easily and safely. So uh, along the entire length of the Connecticut coast, from New York all the way up to uh, the London and Stonington area, there were only two, two naturally deep water harbors. One of them was New London and the other was Black Rock. So the Black Rock Harbor Channel, the natural channel, even at dead low, had a depth of about 12 feet. So this was uh, enough water to bring large sailing vessels in that, you know, grossed up to 900 tons, 150-foot-long clipper-type vessels uh, that, that size, which could come in and out. So that was one big advantage of Black Rock Harbor, the natural water depth. Also, the harbor was fairly wide, uh, almost a quarter of a mile in places, so that the vessels... When in the days of sail, vessels could easily tack back and forth to get up to the wharves. And the harbor was also protected from waves coming in from the sound by an island called Fairweather Island, which stretched along the eastern end of the of the harbor. So those were some of the reasons that Black Rock Harbor was chosen when the settlers began to uh, you know look for a place to to do their business. Now at that time in the 18th century and early 19th century. Bridgeport Harbor was not so conducive to getting large sailing vessels in and out. It had a very narrow channel, only 100 yards in places. And at low tide, even that channel was obstructed by a sandbar. Bridgeport, although they could bring in small trading schooners, the large vessels uh, would have to come to Black Rock. So Black Rock had the prominence for those uh, 18th century and the early part of the 19th century until the steamship era came in. And then uh, the draft conditions weren't as important in Bridgeport as they were in, in Black Rock. So steamships could come in and out. They didn't need the ability to tack back and forth, so the narrow harbor was not an impediment to that. And also by the mid-1800s, uh, dredging became more of an option, so part, parts of Bridgeport were dredged. Also, a railroad, Oostonic Railroad, was laid out, and it connected Bridgeport Harbor to uh, north and to east and to the east and the west. So, for all these reasons, Bridgeport Harbor, around 1840 or 1850, began to take over from Black Rock Harbor. Black Rock Harbor became some somewhat of a backwater port. Of course, uh, this podcast is primarily devoted to lighthouses, so we should probably talk a little bit about the development of the lighthouses in the Bridgeport area. 
the first one was at Fairweather Island, which uh, is, you just mentioned, it is at the entrance to the harbor at, at Black Rock. And the, uh, the lighthouse was uh, first established there in 1808, and that certainly testifies to the importance of Black Rock Harbor at that time. Yeah, Fairweather Island Light uh, was established. The first lighthouse was built about 1808. It was a wooden lighthouse, and it sat at the end of Fairweather Island, which is kind of uh, near the entrance to the Black Rock Harbor. Black Rock Harbor had basically two areas, Inner Harbor, which was inside of the light, and then the Outer Harbor, which which was just beyond it, and it was protected by a, a reef area that kind of sheltered some of the vessels that moored there. But it said that on any given night, up to 200 vessels would be moored in the harbor. So uh, this was a critical light. It was the only light in the early 1800s between uh, Stratford and Norwalk. So it was a key uh, a key lighthouse. And as I mentioned uh, about the the harbor was uh, was so prominent that it was really important to have that light there to uh, to guide vessels, you know, coming in the harbor. Now that light, the wooden light, was blown down in the hurricane of 1821, which thought to possibly been one the worst hurricane that that's ever hit our area, possibly even worse than the hurricane of 1938. The wooden lighthouse, according to some stories, was washed off its base and found up in the center of Fairfield, all the way up by the old Post Road. Hmm. So in 1823, they built the lighthouse that we see out there now, the uh, Fairweather or Black Rock Lighthouse at the, at the end of Fairweather Island. Of course, the uh, the lighthouse uh, that's there uh, on Fairweather Island is is probably best known for its uh, longtime keeper, uh, one of the most famous woman keepers uh, in American history, Kate Moore. Uh, she's become part of the local folklore. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Kate Moore? Well, Kate Moore was born. Uh, we're a little unclear of the of her birth date. She's been variously described as right. living to the age of 110, 112. <laughs> So, but I think uh, it appears that she was born in 1812 and then died in 1899, so which would have made her 87 when she passed away. Right. But she moved out with her father, Stephen Moore. Stephen Moore was a he was a retired sea captain from Derby, Connecticut, just north of here. And he went to work for Isaac Hull, the captain of the Constitution, Commander Hull, up in Derby. I guess he had a farm up there, and uh, uh, Stephen Moore went to work for him. Was injured on the farm. And uh, because of the injury, he was given an appointment by uh, Hull to operate the Fairweather Lighthouse. Evidently, Hull had some connections in Washington and got his appointment. So that's how, they, that's how the Moors ended up here. And then Kate Moore helped her dad to keep the light as she became old enough throughout, all throughout the 1800s. And actually, he passed away in 1871, and that's when she became the official keeper of the light, and she kept the light until 1879, and then retired and moved ashore to uh, to Black Rock. Um, she was an amazing uh, woman. She she's rescued. She rescued by government account 21 mariners who were shipwrecked along the shore. Uh, maintained the light uh, every night for those uh, 60 some odd years that she was out there. Uh, she lived in a house which was about 200 yards away from the light, and to get to the light, she had to walk across a narrow boardwalk to access it. So it was quite a quite a uh, adventurous life she lived out there. She grew oysters in the harbor. She carved duck decoys, which people still collect 
And in 2014, when the Coast Guard uh, began to build a new fleet of uh, cutters called Sentinel-class cutters, they decided to name them after Coast Guard heroes and heroines. And uh, one of them was named after Kate, called Kathleen Moore, 154-foot Sentinel-class cutter, and it's operating now in Key West, Florida. Kate Moore uh, was buried in a plot with no headstone when she passed away in uh, 1899. Uh, but when the uh, Kathleen Moore was launched around that time, the Coast Guard and the Bollinger Shipyards who built the Kathleen Moore thought it would be a good idea if, if she had a nice headstone to commemorate her memory. So they, they came up here, the captain and the crew, and we had a nice ceremony, and we installed a beautiful headstone on her, on her gravesite. Definitely one of the most interesting characters in, uh, in Lighthouse history, I think. One of the confusion, confusing things about it uh, Kate is her name because yeah. she's variously described as Catherine with a C, Catherine with a K, Kathleen, which is the name that the Coast Guard chose for the cutter. So we kind of settled on Kate because that kind of covers all bases. Exactly. Yeah, I just call her Kate. Of course, the uh, the first light in Bridgeport Harbor actually wasn't wasn't a lighthouse at all. Can you tell us about the the first uh, light at Bridgeport Harbor? Well, the first light was installed by. Uh, the harbor master, Abraham McNeil, in 1844. And around that time, as I mentioned before, Bridgeport Harbor was becoming uh, uh, more developed. It had the railroad, as I mentioned, coming in. The steamships were starting to operate from, uh, from Bridgeport Harbor down to New York City. The Nimrod and the Lafayette and all these uh, vessels were starting to ply back and forth. So they needed, uh, and as I mentioned also earlier in the podcast, they had... Uh, a very narrow channel there that they had to navigate to get through. So they needed a light of some kind out there. So Abram McNeil built a small, about a 25-foot open boat with uh, and put a light and bells on it. And that basically was a kerosene lamp and bells, and that acted as a lighthouse for uh, quite a few years. And that was followed by a small iron pile light. Uh, I guess you'd call it a lighthouse, but it, it didn't have living quarters for a keeper or anything like that. Yeah, that was, I believe, about 1851 that was installed. And then um, in 1871, a beautiful Mansard-style light, similar to the local Penfield light here or the Rose, Rose Island light in Newport, was built uh, on that spot. Yeah. Keeper, uh, keepers lived there. Um, that lasted until, 18, until 1953 when it caught fire and unfortunately was lost yeah which is a shame it was a beautiful lighthouse it really was it was was fairly close to shore it was right off the, the main breakwater right there but it was just just a beautiful light very similar to penfield as i mentioned which is right mm-hmm. off uh, mm-hmm. uh, fairfield beach here yeah yeah i have your uh i was going to say i have your book right next to me here the bridgeport on the sound it's on the cover of your your book yeah that was that was a beautiful shot that that uh shot on the cover of the book um, was given, that was from an original photo that was given to us by an oysterman that worked in Bridgeport Harbor. And behind the light, you see the Park City, which was one of the early ferry boats, which would go between Bridgeport Harbor and Port Jefferson, Long Island. Mm -hmm. That ferry ferry boat company is still in operation, the Bridgeport-Port Jefferson Ferry Boat uh, Company. 
The uh, keeper of Bridgeport Harbor Lighthouse uh, for some years in the late 1800s, early 1900s was uh, S. Adolphus McNeil, part of the family of local lighthouse keepers, including the the man who uh, built that light boat that you mentioned. But uh, his his wife, S. Adolphus McNeil's wife, Flora, helped keep the light, and she was an, an artist and a uh, real interesting character. Later, uh, she became the keeper of Tongue Point Light, which is still there at the west side of the entrance right. to the Inner Harbor in Bridgeport. After her husband died, she became the keeper. Uh, as I said, I think she was a, a very interesting character, another, along with Kate Moore, an interesting woman keeper from that area. And she was an artist. When I visited uh, you at Captain's Cove Seaport, you showed me a, a painting uh, from your collection that she did of the Bridgeport Harbor Lighthouse. Can you tell us a little bit more about Flora McNeil? Well, the McNeil family, um, so as we mentioned uh, as you just mentioned, Jeremy, uh, Abraham built the uh, the light boat, and he was um, he later became involved with the harbor and big into the harbor development of Bridgeport Harbor. He, he organized the, the main dredging of the harbor in the late 1800s, and his family uh, became very prominent in the city. Uh, they had a big coal company in Bridgeport. One of the one of the brothers was mentioned as a possible presidential candidate, so it became quite a Quite a family, uh, extended family that was involved in all the maritime uh, maritime things in Britain, not only in Bridgeport but in Black Rock as well. And I I know one of the descendants of the McNeils, um, and he told me that Adolphus McNeil was kind of a near do well in the family, and they kind hmm. of put him out on the lighthouse, to <laughs> get him out of the way. Huh. But his wife Flora became, and it seems like in at least. Two or three of the lights in this area, I know Fairweather and, and the Bridgeport Light, Tongue Point Light, and uh, I think Penfield for a while. The wives often became, you know, the, either the husbands or the father who was originally contracted to keep the light would be disabled or pass away, and the wife would take over. And I think that's what happened with Flora. She began to, uh, you know, take on more of, more of his duties and also the Tongue Point Light. Uh, which was ashore in Bridgeport, which ran out from one of the breakwaters. But as you mentioned, she she was an incredible artist. I I purchased a painting of the Bridgeport light that she had done at an auction a couple of years ago, and I've seen one or two others that she did she did as well. And she was very uh, a folk artist, but very uh, beautiful, beautifully done. So. Uh, kind of an interesting thing to have an artist on the light as well as doing all the work that she was doing. Although Kate Moore was an artist in her own right as well because she was she carved duck toy decoys which people still collect today. So I was impressed by that that painting uh, by, by Flora. In fact uh, I just uh, did a post on the U.S. Lighthouse Society's uh, news blog about Flora McNeil's career and uh, let me photograph that painting and I included a, a picture of that painting in the, uh, oh, the news blog so it's nice oh, to be able to, to share great. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, get the recognition, yeah. Right. Let me ask you a, a general question. Uh, in general, what do you think the lighthouses mean to the local community around there and why do you think it's important that they be preserved? Well, I think they're, uh, I know the um, closest to my heart, obviously, is the Fairweather Light. I, I live uh, right across the harbor from it, and uh, the Fairweather or the Black Rock Light is it's so important to our community. It's kind of the symbol of Black Rock. It's it's on everybody's T-shirt. It's it's the logo of the local bank. It's it's on every you know. It's been painted and photographed uh, so many times. I can't comprehend. It. It's just uh, 
it's the really iconic image that people think of in Black Rock when they think of what is Black Rock at that lighthouse. So that's why it was uh, such a great thing when uh, the effort got underway some years ago to do the restoration of the light, and now it's, it's in great shape. The riprap has, re- has been uh, rebuilt, and the light itself has been restored, and it's, it's, it's great to look out there and see it sparkling out there every day and night. Let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, Captain's Cove Seaport. Uh, before we wrap things up here, uh, sure. Cap- Captain's Cove, of course, has been operated by your family since the early 1980s. Your father, Kay Williams, actually uh, started the started the whole thing back then. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about it? If they come to the Bridgeport area to see the lighthouses and the other attractions around there, why should they come to Captain's Cove? Even if they're not uh, boaters themselves, sh- or should they come to Captain's Cove? Yeah, we're uh, we're we're a very welcoming place. Um, uh, the marina is, you know, started in 1980, 1981, and uh, it's um, open to the public. There's no fee to get in the park or whatever. You can just come down. And we have a, a 400 seat restaurant. We have little gift shops. We have fishing boats and dive boats going out every day, and various displays along the boardwalk. Here uh, we have a display about Gustav Whitehead, who was the uh, credited by many people now as being the first man to fly in the heavier-than-air aircraft two years before the Wright brothers. So we have an exhibit on Gustav Whitehead, uh, also on uh, the Corsair aircraft, which was built right here in Stratford in World War II. And we have a woman whose father was a test pilot for Corsair. She does a big display in the dock. Uh, we have... We have uh, college sailing, high school crew, so there's a lot, a lot going on here. Let's see, we're open from May until uh, September, and we have bands in the dock on Sunday, and uh, it's just a fun place and uh, very accessible and still a family operation. I work here, and my wife, my kids, they come and go, and my uh, <laughs> cousins and my father, sister, brother-in-laws, and kind of an extended family that works here. Yeah, oh, it's really a neat place. And uh, for people who aren't familiar with the area there, if they go to see the uh, the lighthouse at Fairweather Island, you're only, what, five or ten minutes away from, from there. Not a very yeah. long drive between the two yeah, places. Yeah, there's a uh, promenade, a seawall called St. Mary's by the Sea. And uh, it's only about three or four blocks from us here. And uh, you can easily drive right along there and park and look right out at the... You see the Fairweather Lighthouse right to your left up on the seawall when you look out and off to your right is the Penfield light which is a, a beautiful Mansard style light which sits yeah. right off Fairfield. Little, little farther away but a good view from there. When I visited uh, with you there at Captain's Cove in September you kindly showed me your exhibit of local maritime history and, and art. Is that something that's open to the general public? We open it for private tr- tours. Normally uh, every year we do a couple of visits uh, with the Fairfield uh, Museum, a, f- a group from the Fairfield Museum, and um, we do arrange private tours over there. It's not open, you know, every day to the public. But okay. Can arrange if somebody has an interest in lighthouses or, or uh, you know, the history of the harbor history of Black Rock and Bridgeport. I can certainly arrange to take them over there and show them. The, the okay. So people listening to this podcast are getting kind of the inside dope here. So if yeah. they uh, if they sure. con- if they contact you, the, the and the contact information yeah. is on the Captain's Cove website, correct? 
they can uh, ask about a, a private tour of the uh, the history collection. So, speaking of that, how do people access the information online? What is the Captain's Cove Seaport website? It's so, captainscoveseaport.com. Just one long word, Captain's Cove Seaport, one word. Dot .com. Yeah, that's pretty easy. I have one final question for you for bonus points. What's spe- what's most special to you about the city of Bridgeport, Connecticut? Well, to me personally, it's the harbor. Looked over, of course, by the lighthouse, and the harbor itself has been my kind of been the center of my existence. I guess you could say. I was born uh, my grandmother's house in the harbor. My grandparents had a mom and pop marina. You know, they sold sandworms and rented boats and so on. And then we started a marine business on the harbor. Then for 20 years, we were in the commercial lobster fishing business, right in right in Black Black Rock Harbor here, and then. After that, we moved down to Captain's Cove. So I've kind of spent my entire life um, on the harbor um, in one one way, shape, or form. I've worked on it, played on it, (laughs) uh, and continue to do uh, so today. I'm actually sitting here looking at it right now, right outside my office window at the marina. Well, I can't say I'm really, really surprised by that answer, but it's a a great (laughs) answer. It's it's perfect. So, uh, Bruce Williams, I really appreciate you spending this time with me today. And again, it was a pleasure visiting with you and uh, seeing the history collection at Captain's Cove Seaport. I would encourage our listeners to visit Captain's Cove Seaport when and if they go to uh, the Bridgeport area to see the lighthouses and other attractions there. So again, thank you so much, Bruce. I really appreciate it. Okay, thanks for having me, Jeremy. Now we're going to concentrate on the Black Rock section of Bridgeport and the Black Rock Harbor Lighthouse. Black Rock Harbor is a deep, protected harbor that developed as a trade port and shipbuilding center on Long Island Sound in the 1700s. The village of Black Rock was once part of Fairfield, but now is a neighborhood of the city of Bridgeport. Black Rock Harbor is sheltered by Fairweather Island, which made the island an ideal place for a lighthouse to mark the harbor entrance. Seven-acre Fairweather Island, attached to the mainland by a breakwater since 1917, at one time was a much larger island used mainly for the pasturing of sheep. The most remarkable personality in the long history of Black Rock Harbor Lighthouse was Kate Moore. The daughter of the light's third keeper, Stephen Moore, Kate learned to trim the wicks and care for the light when she was young. Over the years, Kate Moore maintained a garden and cared for a number of animals, including a flock of sheep. She also carved and sold duck decoys and had a thriving oyster business. She became the official keeper when her father died in 1871, and Kate Moore was credited with 21 lives saved during more than 60 years at Fairweather Island. The lighthouse was discontinued as a navigational aid in 1932, and the keeper's house burned down in 1977. Some renovation was completed in 1998 thanks to the Black Rock Community Council and the Friends of Seaside Park. But the lighthouse again fell victim to neglect and vandalism, and the island took a major hit from Hurricane Sandy in 2012. In September 2015, it was announced that $439,000 in federal funding had been approved, a disaster relief assistance grant administered through the Connecticut State Historic Preservation Office. The funds paid for rock armoring on the shore to protect the lighthouse. In 2018 and 19, the lighthouse received a major facelift thanks to additional funding 
made available by the Connecticut State Historic Preservation Office and the efforts of the City of Bridgeport and the Black Rock Community Council. Founded in 1976, the Black Rock Community Council's mission is to promote projects that will enhance the quality of life of Black Rock's residents and businesses, including recreational, educational, and business development initiatives. 2019 was a big year. It was the 375th anniversary of the beginning of the Black Rock community. There were celebrations and events throughout the year. Phil Blodges is a past president of the Black Rock Community Council and chair of the Black Rock Community Council History Program. I spent some time with Phil in September when I spoke at the Fairfield Museum and History Center and we walked out to the lighthouse on Fairweather Island together. I spoke on the phone with him in November. Let's listen to my conversation with Phil Blodges now. I am on the phone with Phil Blodges. Uh, thank you so much for spending some time with me today, Phil. I, I really appreciate it. I uh, had a good time with you uh, back in September when I, I visited the Bridgeport area and walked out to the lighthouse on Fairweather Island with you. And, you know, I had visited the lighthouse a few times before, but I never really uh, got to see the Black Rock village or neighborhood before that day. So I appreciate you showing me around. That was a, a really good day. And uh, I also spoke at the Fairfield Museum that day. And thanks for your role in setting that up as well. So let's jump into some background before we talk about the lighthouse. First of all, the, the Black Rock Village of, of Bridgeport is, is a, a really interesting community. It's got a lot of maritime history. How, how did the Black Rock community get its name anyway in the first place? Well, I can tell you some ideas on how it got its name, but I'm not sure that anyone is actually sure. Um, but it does, we, the first rep, it was called Ship Harbor Creek, uh, Black Rock Harbor, initially. Uh, Black Rock was settled in 1644 uh, by some group of people from Concord, Massachusetts. And at that time, it was part of the town of Fairfield, which had been established about well, five years earlier in 1639. And the Wheeler family was the family that settled Black Rock. And the, uh, the, the first settler was a gentleman by the name of Thomas Wheeler and his grandson. We have a, a record from the town of Fairfield in seven, 1676. Sergeant John Wheeler petitioned the town of Fairfield to build a wharf. And the exact wording that, is, that he used that was at least recorded in the town records in Fairfield was to build um, a wharf at the Black Rock would suggest there was one large black rock present at that point that really used as the as the way to describe to the town people because the, the center of Fairfield was somewhat removed from Black Rock, about two miles or so. So he would have been able to describe to them exactly where he wanted to put the wharf. However, if that black rock does exist and some have said it does, there is a building on top of it right now that we uh -huh. have to remove or see it. So that is that is one possible source of its name. Beyond that, there is a black ledge that runs all along the harbor. And if you go into some of the basements of the, the clubs and the organizations on the harbor, you'll see the black rock. Um, along, and you'll see some of it exposed as well along, uh, along the shoreline. Um, so that's another possibility. But I don't think we'll ever know for sure, but it doesn't mean we're going to stop trying to know. <laughs> okay. I was curious. I never knew the, uh, the the answer. So that's probably about the best answer we can we can have to that question. So Fair, uh, Fairweather Island, uh, of course, is at the entrance to Black Rock Harbor. What does the lighthouse, uh, the Black Rock Harbor or Fairweather Island Lighthouse, what, what would you say the, the lighthouse means to the village of Black Rock? 
I think it, in no small way, serves as a, as a reminder of our maritime past. It is the third oldest lighthouse on the shoreline of Connecticut, um, being uh, built in 1822. So it, it, I think it provides people a sense of history, a, a sense of, I think a sense of pride in being part of this community that has such a long history. And we, we do have a dual identity because, as I mentioned, we were originally part of the town of Fairfield, and that remained so from 1644 until 1870. So um, it was at that point that we were next by the city of Bridgeport and our past with Bridgeport more closely associated with the industrial age. But the lighthouse symbolizes the kind of the pre-industrial age, the time when Black Rock Harbor was the principal harbor, um, not Bridgeport Harbor. When Black Rock Harbor reached its peak, Bridgeport really didn't even exist. And Black Rock Harbor is the only um, deep water harbor in this part of the state, New London being the other, but that's way east of us. Um, so it really does, it, it's a source of pride. It's a source of um, the, uh, historical importance to, I think, the people that live here. And it's very present because we have a boulevard that goes right along the shoreline of Long Island Sound. Uh, it's a linear park now called St. Mary's, and people are, almost always take a ride around Saints. Um, and, and when you take a ride around Saints, the lighthouse is always right in front of you. So it's very, very present. It's not hidden by any means. It's not like you have to go far to see it. People see it on a regular basis, day in and day out. So it, it has been used symbolically um, for years and years and years to represent our community. And even beyond that, to, to represent Bridgeport at this point. Of course, the lighthouse is probably best known as far as uh, in the wider world of lighthouses. It's probably best known for its famous keeper. Kate Moore, one of the most famous women lighthouse keepers in the country, I'd say. Uh, she was a, a very remarkable person. She lived for 60-odd years on Fairweather Island. Uh, and uh, you and the Black Rock Community Council uh, History Committee had a memorial created in honor of Kate Moore a few years ago, and you were you kindly took me to see that. I hadn't seen it before uh, until I was there this past September, and took me to see it. Can you tell us a little bit a little bit about how that memorial came to be? Sure. We we have over the past four or five years identified uh, individuals in our past that have played an important role and done, and we have uh, gone about. Uh, putting markers, historical markers, to, to commemorate um, what they had done. Caleb Brewster comes to mind. He was the first one we did, Revolutionary War hero and a key member of Washington's spy ring. And we, uh, his farm was here in Black Rock, so we placed a marker and had a memorial for Caleb. And Isaac Chauncey, who was the commander of the World uh, War of 1812, uh, uh, Great Lake Naval Forces, also grew up in Black Rock. And so we had a naval dedication at his house and placed a memorial there. And as soon as we had done with Isaac Chauncey, we turned our sights to Kate Moore. Uh, we had always known about Kate and her role in uh, Black Rock Harbor Light and, and the heroic uh, role that she performed in saving so many lives. And so we started talking about honoring Kate with an official memorial. Concurrent with our efforts, but unknown to us at that time, was that the United States Coast Guard was in the process of launching a whole fleet of new fast response cutters. And they were naming these vessels after important um, figures in the Coast Guard history, I think most of whom were former lighthouse keepers. And they had actually targeted uh, Kate Moore as, uh, as, bearing, um, as, being, as being the uh, person to uh, have one of these fast cutter Coast Guard ships named after. 
So while we were planning this memorial, we found out that this new United States Coast Guard ship was going to be launched, and that was in 2014. Um, and at the same time, we learned that the, the cemetery where she was, um, was where she was buried had never had a marker at her gravesite. And so the Coast Guard and the shipyard that built the vessel for the Coast Guard coordinated and funded a um, headstone for her at the cemetery. And we had a whole Coast Guard um, dedication ceremony at the cemetery in May of 2014. And right after that, the U.S. Let's see, I'm, I'm going to try to get this right. It's a USCGC, uh, Kathleen Moore, was launched in Florida. Uh, so within a month there, she had these two very important um, events take place in her honor. And then ours came a year later. And it was a full Coast Guard memorial um, with the unveiling of the marker that uh, that I showed you overlooking the lighthouse um, that she you know, took care of for, for some 60 years out on Fairweather Island. Oh, it's really great that she was honored in all those ways. So let's talk a little bit about the recent renovation of the lighthouse. Without getting into uh, too much painstaking detail, can you tell us a little bit more about the uh, work that was done on the tower itself? Well, we had a new door, a brand new doorway installed. So that we could secure the the lighthouse and lock it, and um, um, we had the tower itself was repointed. Um, the masonry um, was resurfaced and it was painted. The base of it was sealed with an anti-graffiti sealant, um, and then the top lantern um, sits on a kind of a corbelled section of brick with uh, some sort of a concrete base, and then the lantern itself is cast iron. So all of that was re um, redone. The base was redone. The cast iron. Um, was resurfaced, repainted, and the glass was uh, the glass around the lantern was it really isn't glass anymore; it's plexiglass. But we we sealed that to prevent moisture from getting in. The iron railing that that goes around the top of the lighthouse was taken down and completely restored and, and replaced. We put an osprey deterrent uh, on the very top of the of the lighthouse. Right. Uh, that was the last official part of this restoration. As part of that, the initial part of the the whole uh, process was the protection for the structure with the the rock wall, the new protection for the lighthouse with the the rock wall next to it. That was what the initial uh, grant paid for. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Because when I when I brought this to the city's attention, I had pictures of the base before and after, and that was the part that was so telling in terms of in terms of fitting the criteria. Uh, it was pretty clear that you know it had been adversely affected by Sandy, um, and it's really it's it's called riprap or stone riprap or stone armor, but it's just a lot of rock that gets placed at the base of the lighthouse to protect it from the water. Uh, so I don't know, I forget how many tons, but tons and tons of stone were brought out to um, brought out to the island on a barge, and a crane lifted all the rock in place so that the lighthouse itself now has a pretty good base around it, unlike yeah. other lighthouses doesn't sit up high and it doesn't sit away from the water far enough so that uh, you know we, we just have you know the, the 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 water is always going to be a threat to this to this lighthouse and probably increasingly so with uh, rising sea levels and uh, the storms that we'll probably be getting uh, in the coming coming winters so yeah. uh, we'll see I hope that that uh, that rock uh, armor affords it uh, a good amount of protection in the coming years. Unfortunately, this is kind of a, a sad subject, I'm afraid, but there's been a history of vandalism and a lot of graffiti 
uh, out there. Of course, it is uh, kind of isolated. Even though you can walk out to the island, it, it's kind of uh, isolated from the mainland uh, in a way. And I know my first couple of visits out there, uh, the lighthouse was, was open, the door was open, uh, there was a lot of debris in there, there was uh, a lot of graffiti on the lighthouse, and then it was uh, supposedly graffiti-proofed and made secure some years ago with the a round of restoration that took place uh, was that around 20 years ago, but then it was uh, broken into again and so forth. But uh, what's what's been done to guard against those kinds of things with this latest uh, round round of restoration? Well, I think I mentioned earlier there is a sealant that was placed on the base of the lighthouse after the after the painting um, that does not allow graffiti to um, be easily adhered to the to the to the, to the structure, but um, we had our first hit the end of um, the summer, and they did a pretty good job of, of tagging it, I guess is the term they use. Um, but the city was able to get out there and to, and to remove it in a, in a pretty quick fashion. As you indicated, it's out there all on its own. We don't have the luxury of being able to put a fence around it. We don't have the luxury of someone being out there in a caretaking capacity. Um, and so in a way it's protected because it is so, you know, tricky to get to in some respects, but it's unprotected because once out there, you know, a person can do whatever they want to do and, and it will go largely unnoticed. Um, so, um, we have the sealant at the base. Um, there was supposed to be some signage put up and I'm still hoping that the city does that, that you know, it's just kind of, you know, uh, ask people to kind of appeal to their better angels and say, please don't face this historic structure. But beyond that, we just don't have a way of protecting it um, anymore. There is a, a, a secure steel door that would is, next, uh, I would guess, pretty impenetrable. Is that is that correct? Yes, it was put in. That was put in place as part of this restoration, and it and the initial lock was actually not impenetrable. They they actually um, broke into it, uh, and then subsequent to that, we had a a much stronger um, locking me- mechanism put in place. And um, up until this point, um, no one's been able to penetrate. And so the so the inside of the lighthouse is is pretty much off limits. And so far, it's remained that way. So. Hopefully that will not be an issue. Right. Unfortunately, it's the opposite that they that they tend to attack now. You use the the word tricky uh, that it's tricky to get out to the lighthouse, and that's it. Certainly is the breakwater. It was always difficult to walk out on that breakwater that leads out to the the lighthouse from the end of uh, Seaside Park there in, in Bridgeport. And then Hurricane Sandy made the situation worse by moving some of the stones in the breakwater. And it's, it's, it's really quite difficult. And for, for a lot of people, a lot of people wouldn't be able to make that walk out to the, the island. So uh, I always warn people that it's at least a, a moderately difficult walk out to the island. Are there any plans at all for repair to that breakwater, or is that is that on the the board at all? Is that being talked about at all? There are no plans that I know of, but there are sections that uh, are almost completely um, breached where, where the where the sound will come into the harbor, and if it gets to that point, I think they'll be forced to do something. Um, but at this point, it, it it is definitely marginalized in sections. It used to be. A much easier walk out there, uh, much 
much flatter and safer. And to your point, um, you know, when I've taken people out, I, I do always tell them if, you know, any, it's not an easy walk. You gotta, moderately difficult is probably being, you know, being pretty, pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, so, but, but no plans right now to fix that. That's a, that's a very, very big project. Mm-hmm. Um, to get, get rock out there and to re, you know, to rebuild what it, what the storms over the years have taken apart. Yeah. Under whose jurisdiction would that be? Who would do those repairs? It would have to be the city of Bridgeport. One final question for uh, for bonus points for you. What's what's special? <laughs> what's special about Black Rock Harbor Lighthouse to you personally? Well, I, I like the fact that it is, as I mentioned at the beginning of this um, discussion, that it that it is a symbol of our past, and sadly, so much of Bridgeport's history has been lost. Um, through the years, buildings have gone, you know, have not been protected, and uh, um, it's unfortunate. Um, but that lighthouse is an enduring symbol of our maritime past, and it's an enduring symbol. And when I say our maritime past, I mean the city of Bridgeport, but beyond that, it's an enduring symbol of Black Rock's maritime past and the role that we played in the uh, development of the town of Fairfield in the 19th century. So it's it really is a special symbol. It, it's used, you know, widely in Black Rock um, on calendars and glasses and coffee mugs and T-shirts and so on um, to represent this community. Well, that sums it up pretty pretty well, I think. So uh, with that, uh, Phil Blodges, I want to thank you again for your hospitality when I was down there in September. And I want to thank you very much for spending this time with me today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Phil. You're very welcome, Jeremy. And you're welcome anytime to come back to Black Rock and walk back out to the Lighthouse. That's all for this episode of Lighthearted. Many thanks to our guests, Bruce Williams of Captain's Cove Seaport and Phil Blatches of the Black Rock Community Council. You can learn more about Captain's Cove Seaport at captainscoveseaport.com. And you can learn more about the Black Rock Community Council at blackrockcc.org. Thanks to all the members, volunteers, and staff of the U.S. Lighthouse Society at Hansville, Washington, and everywhere. Be sure to check out the USLHS at uslhs.org and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it by becoming a member of the United States Lighthouse Society or by making a donation. And we'd like to hear from you. Please post your comments on the USLHS News site or email jeremy at uslhs.org. If you listen using Apple Podcasts, please rate and review this podcast. And please share the word. We are still a new podcast, and anything you do to let people know is greatly appreciated. Also, if you are a volunteer for a lighthouse organization, we'd love to hear from you. We want to start including stories of lighthouse volunteers in this podcast. Why do you volunteer? What do you love about lighthouses? Why is it important to you? Please let us know by emailing me at jeremy at uslhs.org. As always, thank you for listening and keep Keep a a good good light. light.